Want to help your teachers save over 10 hours per week? Introduce them to School AI. It's not just a tool, it's a partner in the classroom. With School AI, teachers can plan courses in minutes, get real-time learning data, and provide one-on-one -on -one tutoring. Plus, it's free for teachers. Visit schoolai.com today. School AI, the classroom operating system of the future. That's schoolai.com. Focal Point K-12 is an innovative tool that helps teachers and students manage student portfolios. It provides a digital portfolio for students to store their work, set and track their own learning goals, and earn credentials and industry certifications. The platform also uses blockchain technology to ensure the security and safety of student data. Teachers can use Focal Point K-12's real-time dashboards to track student progress and save time with AI-assisted scoring. To learn more, visit focalpoint.education. Principles. Research shouldn't be a maze for students. Scribble offers a unified platform streaming the research and writing process. It integrates with major educational tools, ensures authentic student work, and provides educators with real-time insights. Elevate your school's academic rigor. Learn more at scribble.com. That's S-C-R-I-B-L-E.com. transformative principle where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I am your host Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm so excited to have Dr. Paul Polly Gavoni on. Did I say that right? Gavoni? You got it, brother. One okay. Of the uh, welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm excited to have Dr. Paul Polly Gavoni on the program today. He has been in education and human services for 20 years. He's done a ton of stuff. He's been a leadership director, assistant principal, turnaround manager, therapist, behavioral analyst, adjunct professor, and so much more. He's worked with students in poverty and those suffering from behavioral and mental health issues. And he also is a former fighter and a Golden Gloves heavyweight coach, and he uses the science of human behavior to train his fighters, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. He's also Wall Street Journal and New York Times bestselling author. In addition to that, he is passionate about applying organizational behavior management strategies to establish positive environments that engage and bring out the best in people so they can bring out the best in the children they serve. And Paul, welcome to Transformative Principle. Great to have you. Thanks, brother. And just to get the right. I'm the heavyweight champion, not coach. Although I have, oh, I have heavyweight champions, though. But okay. yeah, it, as far as the culture stuff, man, I love it, man. I love helping. I have a dream that one day people would love to come to work. Right? They love it. They feel successful, and they're they're living their values and stuff. And we're a long way from that dream, man. But one day, yeah, one day, I I think we'll get there. And in the jobs that I've had where I have loved coming to work, it's been just amazing. And it brings out I, the best in you, right? It really does. And it makes me like level up and, and show up in a way that is really valuable to me and to the others there. So I'm in powerful. that right now, brother. I'm in my passion and my niche, what I'm good at yeah. and what I love, man. They come together and bam. Yeah, that feels so good. So what what is something you think somebody should take away from this episode that we're talking about today? 
Well, I think the main thing is probably if we could boil it down to a couple things. Uh, one, like all behavior, all change comes down to behavior. And if we want to bring out the best in the students, we have to bring out the best in the teachers. If we want to bring out the best in the teachers, we need to bring out the best in the school leaders, up the state leaders, up to the teacher and leadership prep courses. It's all aligned, right? These are meta contingencies, and we need to move away from blaming people to giving them the knowledge and skills and supporting performance in the workplace, which is the school and the classroom. In order to support performance in those areas, we need to make sure that people are getting regular feedback on what they're doing, right? What their behavior, what, what behavior they're engaging in and how that's impacting some goal, right? Are they moving towards that goal? And so I think this is where, as we talked about AI, I think this is where that comes in. We can tighten up these feedback loops and we do it. So it's private to the person. So it's like you have your own private coach helping you see what you're doing and how that's impacting the environment, i.e. what are the kids doing, the students doing, and how are they learning? Yeah, very good. I think the big thing for me was actually at the very end when you talked about giving surveys and having it not go to the person over that group, but going to the coach of that person over that group. So if you're surveying students, it doesn't go to the principal, it goes to the coach of the teacher. If you're surveying teachers, it doesn't go to the principal, it goes to the coach of the principal so that you can adjust how you're giving feedback and helping that person improve. And to me, that was really eye-opening because I've talked a lot about on this podcast about getting feedback and hearing what people are saying, but doing it in a way that's non-punitive. And it's really hard to be non-punitive when that person is reading the what people are saying about him or her. So mm -hmm. I thought that was a really powerful thing too. Yeah. And also they have a history. You might not be punitive at all, but they might've been punished in the past. So that's going to exactly. shape their behavior right now. And they're not going to give you accurate feedback. And that's what you need. And of course, everybody needs to understand that people give feedback based on how they're feeling in the moment, right? So mm -hmm. there's going to be bias in it. And this is why we need to look for norms. And you find like, why are people not as happy in that that Title I school? Well, Title I school is a little bit more difficult, right? Yeah. So we yeah. need to look at that. But we start to get a norm across the country or across your district, or whatever it is. And you compare yourself to that norm, but you also compare yourself to your own baseline. And you're really competing against your own baseline to move up, shooting for that norm or shooting to go above that norm. Of, cor of course, we want to set goals eventually above that norm. So I think that could change on a dime, man. We could do that tomorrow. Yeah, that's powerful. All right. Thank you. I'm excited for this interview. We'll get to that in just a moment. This is part of the Summer of AI series on Transformative Principle, brought to you by School AI, which helps your teachers save hours per week by automating things that they don't need to be doing. And AI Leader, where you can go and learn more about artificial intelligence and how it works for you as a school leader. That's at AIleader.info. Thanks so much. And we'll get to Paul's interview in just a moment. Time is a precious commodity. As a principal, you know this all too well. Between lesson planning, grading, and providing personalized feedback, the hours in a day can quickly disappear. But what if you could help your teachers get some of that time back? Introducing School AI. School AI is not just a tool, it's your teacher's partner in the classroom. Help your teachers save over 10 hours a week on busy work, allowing them to focus on what they do best teaching. With School AI, teachers can plan courses in minutes, get real-time data on learning, and even provide one-on-one -on -one tutoring for every student. School AI also provides a FERPA-compliant chat GPT experience. But that's not all. School AI's co-teacher feature is like a personal assistant, adapting daily lessons to student interests, checking for understanding, and even automating parent communication. And the best part? It's free for teachers. 
So if you're ready to reclaim your time and transform your school with the power of AI, visit schoolai.com today. School AI, the classroom operating system of the future. Visit them at schoolai.com. All right. So, Polly, thank you so much for being here and thank you for sharing. Let me start with this question. When you and I talked before, we talked about errorless learning. Tell me what that means in the context of, of learning. What does errorless mean? Well, it really just means like prompting people to make sure that they actually get through some task without making errors. When in if I use an extreme case of working with somebody with disabilities, we might tell them what to do, model it for them, and we might fully guide their hand to something, right? Touch, if it's a learner that's just learning something, touch red. And we take our hand and we have them touch red. When we say, great job, we reinforce them for doing it. We make sure that we give them something that's preferred. Then we slowly begin to fade that out, right? Maybe we say touch red and we use a partial physical prompting, right? And then we say touch red and we use gestural prompting. Eventually we just say touch red and they touch red, right? And so you can generalize that to anything. If it's one of my fighters, I can show them how to throw a right hand by fully guiding their, you know, what they're doing. If it's a computers, it could be like crashing like a game or something like that. The ones where there's like boundaries on it. You can't die. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like you make a mistake. There's an error there. But what you do is you're getting feedback and you are being guided to getting the successful solution with the goal being that you fade right into whatever the, the natural environmental cues are. Does that make sense? Yeah. So a lot of times in education, we call that gradual release where mm -hmm. we we help them make sure they get it and understand it. And then we slowly back off and do less and less as time that's goes it. on. Is yep, that, that's that basically it? it? Yep, that's fading. That's right. That's right. So, so let's talk about that in the context of, of artificial intelligence. If, if, you know, one of the things that, that, that I've been saying is that if a computer can do something better than a human, why wouldn't we have the computer do that when it's cheaper, more efficient, more sure that it's actually going to work? How does this type of approach relate to artificial intelligence and how we are are turning things over to these non-sentient beings? Well, I, airless learning is just an approach, right? There's other approaches to like people make mistakes and you learn from your mistakes, right? And we build resilience. So I'm not suggesting that we only use errorless learning when teaching, but but I do think that in in, in our discussion before that AI can play a huge part in improving education. And of course, I do not think that the human element should be removed from education. I think that we need teachers and we need school leaders and there's got to be that piece of the puzzle. But here's how I, I would envision it. Uh, what we know about the science is that learning happens from the environment, right? We're not born knowing things. We do things and it produces some sort of consequence and that consequence shapes our behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so... <clears throat> Um, in, in education, what I'm finding, and it may not be your experience, but I'm guessing it is at some level, especially in these schools with high poverty, is that a lot of educators are coming into the field unprepared to meet the demands of the classroom. Now, I don't know what's more important than education, in my opinion. I suppose I'm biased, but if we're going to reduce poverty, if we're going to reduce welfare, if we're going to reduce incarceration, if we're going to improve quality of life, I believe that education holds the key to success. Now, of course, there's a number of other variables that we need to take a look at. Education is so important, but we're not doing a very good job educating our educators. 
from higher education where we get a whole bunch of theory, and I don't want to overgeneralize this because there's certainly good teacher preparation programs, but in general, I don't think most are equipping them to do what's needed in the classroom. And, you know, we, there's too much theory, too little modeling, and even less rehearsal and feedback, right? And that's required to at least build the skill. But you still need that skill to generalize into the natural environment, right? We might call it coaching. I can tell my fighter how to fight. I can model for them how to fight. I can get them to practice the skill. Well, they know how to do something. They know what they do, what they should be doing. They know why, right? We create the why for them. So there's the one. Then I drop them into the cage of the ring. And as soon as they take a punch, they fall back under the old habits because I have to get that in, that skill to generalize into the, the natural environment. The natural environment would be the fight, right? For teachers, this is the greatest fight of our life is educating our children. So how do you connect that learning to the natural environment? And that would be through simulations. I believe simulations really holds the key to getting the teacher prepared to meet the demands of that classroom. And the simulations could be like virtual reality and you're put into a simulated classroom and you're provided, first of all, you're given the theory, you're given the modeling and you're getting the practice skills, but now you're in this environment and you not it's not just enough to know what to do, but you need to know when to do it and you have to do it automatically the same way my fighters got to be able to slip that punch. I can't tell them slip the punch. It's too late. They're going to get hit. So they need high repetition under this very dy dy dynamic environment. And when you do this, if we've got some really well thought out environments and scenarios, the teacher is going to get in touch with consequences that are safe, reinforcing consequences, punishing consequences like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. The kid went off and hit somebody or they ran out of the classroom or all the kids failed or whatever it is. There's different ways to give teachers this knowledge and skills. Now, I want to zoom out a little bit and say, we also need this for the school leaders. I've taught in higher education. I've taught in educational programs. I've taught in leadership. Well, a school leader can single-handedly turn schools around. I've worked with these school leaders and they've done great jobs. And they've also failed schools where high, high teacher retention or turnover, you know, with half of our teachers leaving the field inside of five years, we've got to do something differently. This is a crisis. It really is a crisis. It's a crisis to our country. It's a crisis to our youth. It's a crisis to our families. And so our leaders got to be better prepared. They get even less rehearsal in practice. And unless they have a really good mentor and they're able to identify the critical behaviors that that mentor is engaging in, right? They're modeling good behaviors. They're being dropped into the schools, again, unprepared to meet the demands. And, and then we're evaluating them and saying, you're not doing a great job. That's like me evaluating my fighter while they're taking a beating and saying, you need to do this or you need to do that. Well, they're going to fall back onto the habits that are going to keep them safe. And eventually you're going to think, you know what? This fighting stuff's not for me. And they leave. And when they're leaving in education after five years, and this is not just teachers, school leaders are leaving. And now superintendents are leaving, right? I think it was like, so 34% or turnover inside of three years, right? It's a major, major issue. So we've got to equip people with the knowledge and skills and ability to do this stuff in their teacher prep courses, including, and as you know, and this is freaking nuts to me, these certification programs. You, you can pass a certification test, a written test, and that means you're able to teach in a classroom. That's bullshit, brother. You know what I'm saying? That's bullshit. Teaching is very sophisticated. 
I have such respect for educators because they have to arrange the environment every second of the day to optimize learning, right? People think teaching just is about telling. It's very difficult. It is very difficult. And the same thing with school leadership. This might be one of the most difficult leadership jobs in the nation because you can't give good teachers more money. There's no financial incentives to do it. If there's bad teachers, you don't really have good resources to help them to be better a lot, right? Because it's either a skill deficit or a motivational deficit. And a lot of times it's both. So what do you do if you're the school leader? So these school leaders who really know how to inspire people and get them moving in the right direction and to shape behavior, they are worth their weight in gold. It's incredible, mm. but they're being ill-prepared. So Okay, hold on a yeah. sec. You've said a ton. I don't mean to cut you off. But no, no, I did say a ton, brother, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot that I want to go back to that I think is so valuable. Number one, you talked about the, about educating our educators, right? And in businesses, colleges, high school, middle school, elementary, they all blame downhill the person before them for not preparing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that is a very real thing. And, and while I agree that that exists to a certain extent, it's not really, it's not helpful to say like, somebody else has to fix this problem. And so that's where we really need to say, it doesn't matter where you came from, you we're going to make you successful here. And I think that that is the, the first thing that we've got to be addressing. Any, any comments on that? No, that's it. You can't, it's actually, you just talked about chapter one of my book, deliver coaching. It's called the blame game and it trickles down and everybody suffers as a result of it. And it's crazy. In my field, it's a science. And if you start blaming people, you are no longer looking at the science because the science says we have to change the environment. If we change the environment, we'll get the best out of people. We're not blaming people does not work. If it worked, we wouldn't be here because there's a lot of blame going on. Yeah, for sure. So the second thing, the, the place where I, I struggle with these analogies to sports and stuff as it relates to teachers is that in the sports analogies, there's practice, 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 mm-hmm. and then there's the event. That's and right. it is actually opposite in education where mm-hmm. it is game time every single day because you're up there in front of those kids. Mm-hmm. And so the time for practice is virtually non-existent because it's always game time. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that? Well, the time for practice is before the practice. The game is being in the classroom. The practice is supposed to be in teacher preparation, right? That's where the practice occurs. They should not be learning on the job. You can't, I, I can't have my fighter learning. The, the analogy is very clear to me. My fighter can't be learning in the fight while they're taking a beating. It doesn't work that way and they're going to leave and that's just what's happening. So we have to better prepare our teachers before we drop them into the classrooms. It's very simple. It's very simple. That's what needs to happen. And you prepare them to a certain level and then you support them right in there. We need more coaching. We need more regular PD and effective PD, not these sit and get, right? So they need that yeah. kind of support and they we should scaffold what they need to know, right? So it's a performance base. Like here are the critical skills you need at ground level, like almost like black belts, right? White belt, yellow belt, green belt. And if you can perform these skills competently, right? You can show me you can do it. Tell me what you're supposed to do. And then I see you doing it. 
right, in the classroom and you're producing the outcome, you move up a belt. Now we target this next skills. So it should not be about time in and all this stuff that they have. That's bullcrap. It should be about performance, right? And But we need to equip them with the knowledge and skills and tools and resources where they can be successful. So the sporting analogy, it's the same thing, but we just have to zoom out and look at the big picture. The practice is the preparation. That's what practice is supposed to be about, preparation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think I think the real difference is that is that sports, you have a lot of time for practice, and that is built into how the system works. So if you have a fight, you're not preparing for that fight the day before, right? You're mm-hmm. preparing for that fight for days, weeks, how long between fights do you but you might have a six to eight weeks to prepare for the fight. And I would say, again, that's conditioning your body, but your the knowledge and skills are there. So it's a bit different in terms of conditioning your body. You At this point, you have knowledge and skills, and maybe you're, you're pinpointing a certain approach or strategy that you're going to use. But by the time we drop the teachers into, I'm not going to drop my fighter into the fight, no matter six weeks, eight weeks, I'm going to drop them in there once they are able to perform competently, right, at a certain level. And what I'm saying is that our teachers are being dropped into the classrooms incompetent. It's not their fault, right? They don't know better and they're learning on the job. And so when we talk about ongoing preparation, yes, that should be built into the system. I believe that we should have year-round school. Now, I don't mean every day of the year. I think these 10 weeks off, which really hurts our kids in high poverty, I think that does them a, a disservice. I would love to see like four-day week schools with more quality instruction, right? It's not about quantity. It's about quality of instruction. That other day, teachers get to plan. They get to get resources for learning. They become a better teacher and learn new and innovative stuff. So this is what we have to do. We have to change the system, man. The system is not doing its job. Yeah. Don't get me started on that because that's not the point of this conversation, but that's something that I've been talking about for years that our system is designed to make the lives of the teachers as easy as possible. And it's not designed to improve student learning. So in- Well, it's not making the teacher's job easier. It's not, yet it's designed to do that, but it's still not making it any easier. And so, especially with like homework and grading, those are all things that teachers don't have to do. And yet they do them because they think that they're part of the system. And they're, they're designed, the multiple choice tests are designed to make it easy for teachers to grade, but they actually give no information. They don't help the teacher understand what the kids really need, and they don't make it so that the kids can actually learn from it. Picture this, a student drowning in tabs, tools, and notes, struggling to piece together a research project. Sounds familiar, right? Now, imagine all of that streamlined under one roof. That's Scribble. Scribble is more than just a tool. It's a game changer. Students can curate, annotate, cite, and write all in one place. Collaborative annotations, check. Automatic citations, check. Real-time feedback for educators, you bet. And the best part is it's not just about making tasks easier, about freeing up time for higher-level learning and critical thinking. Are you worried about AI plagiarism? With Scribble, students show their authentic work process, making it genuine and credible. And I mentioned it won the Soup's Choice Award for College and Career Readiness. So if you're ready to transform the way your school approaches research and writing, head over to scribble.com and see the magic for yourself. That's S-C-R-I-B-L-E.com. Well, well, that's actually a perfect transition to the next part of this when we talked about AI, and that is 
again, prepping them is one thing, right? Now we have to get them in there because there's the instruction and there's the assessment piece of the puzzle. Now there's two types of really important assessment. One is when students are doing their work, they need regular feedback and on their performance, right? I did this well, so let me keep doing that. So it's positively reinforcing their behavior and they need corrective feedback. I didn't do this well, and here's what I need to do instead. And a delay in that feedback delays learning. And so AI, I believe, can pump back feedback regularly to them, right? Just like a game does. And we can gamify things, which is a whole nother thing because kids are playing games and they're getting in touch with all this high levels of positive reinforcement that are engaging them, but they come to school and they got to sit at a desk and we leave it to the teacher to do all this work to engage them to influence. It's very difficult to do. It's not that it can't be done, but it requires an exceptional teacher. And we need to make sure that students can be successful and teachers can be successful at the mean, right? The average. We can't have, by nature, an exceptional teacher is exceptional. It's, it's rare. So I think that we can have AI be involved in this kind of instruction. And I think that we have teachers now enhance that learning through the activities, through the projects and these pieces of the puzzle. So they become fluent using the computer in core principles, core skills, right? And they the teacher then becomes a facilitator of these activities. So now you have that piece of it. Now let's zoom out a little bit. Even with great simulations and all these pieces of the puzzle in, in higher education, if we did this, we're going to drastically increase the likelihood that teachers are going to perform well, but they still need feedback in the classroom. Now, poor school leaders are being given a management ratio that is unheard of, yeah. unheard of. It's crazy to think that a, a principal and assistant principal have 50 teachers under them to manage, right? Who does that? I think what management ratio is like four to eight or something like that. I forget no. it. It's crazy. Don't quote me on that. It's somewhere out there. And so here's how I believe AI could support that. And this would be very sticky. And this is why I think they need a behavior analyst involved in it. If there was AI to observe them in the classroom and give them immediate feedback, right? Remember I said we need to scaffold the skills like a belt ranking, right? And here's the skill you're working at. So it does a frequency count of the skill, right? Probably there's some behavioral anchor rating scale where it can measure the quality of it. Let's say it's opportunities to respond. Asking questions is really important. It could count the frequency of it. It can also look to the type of questions, right? So if it was on a the web's you know, Bloom's taxonomy, right? It can grade them and give a percentage of higher order thinking questions. And then it not only shows that you're engaging in this behavior, but it's also showing the outcome. It's showing how many students are on task. It's also aligning it with learning gains. So the teacher is able to get feedback on their behavior and see when I do this, here's what's happening. Or when they don't do that, here's what's happening. Increase in disruption, reduction in engagement, et cetera, et cetera. People need tight feedback loops and people tend to be poor observers of their behavior, poor observers of the impact of their behavior on the environment and poor observers of the impact of the environment on their behavior. And I believe that AI can fill in the gap for that. Now, it's got to be private. It's got to be AI is like a coach because I could see this data being abused very easily, right? It should be pumped back to the teacher and they look at it and the only way it would be used otherwise, let's say that it's giving data and the teacher's not responding to it. And now somebody else has to come and intervene and intervene in a way that it's a coaching model. We're supporting that. Let's look at the data and what is it that you need? How can it be better for you? You know, what environmental adjustments do we need to make? Because if it's used to punish people, right, show them that they're not measuring up, 
people are going to hate education. They're going to leave in droves. And so I yeah. believe that can happen for school leaders, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think that that is such a powerful idea. I actually did focus on opportunities to respond at a school that I was at. And that was all we did. We did these walkthroughs and we just checked how often kids were given opportunities to respond. And just the fact of us noting and measuring that made a huge impact in how our kids did. And we could see it. Now, the thing that it required was somebody else to go and watch because you cannot you cannot expect the teacher to be paying attention and tracking that and knowing what it really is. Like you said, they have a hard time seeing what they're doing when they're in the thing. Of and, course, yeah. And so it, it was really amazing to see how it improved when we focused on it and our presence made them do more opportunities to respond. And what we were trying to get to mm -hmm. was that every minute kids had an opportunity to respond. And it made it difficult for kids to be off task and uh, not engaged when they had to be paying attention and give a response every minute of that class that we were in there. And that's tiring also, Polly. So it's like, how do you, how do you manage and balance that? That's a big piece too. That's tiring for the teacher. That's tiring for the kids. Is that sustainable all throughout the day? Is that the kind of thing that we need to really be putting our energies in and not just opportunities to respond. That's what we're talking about here, but what are those things that are really going to move the dial that we really should be focusing on? Well, th that's a really big question. I want to just step back and say like, kudos to you for using the approach. That's a very behavioral approach. I want to explain behaviorally why that worked. So have you ever heard of Kagan strategies? Uh-huh. Yep. I love cooperative learning. It's very exciting. I went to one of the best trainings I've ever been to through a Kagan strategy. And if you went back in the school or K Kagan structures, if you went back to the school, you would see some of the teachers and they loved it too, using like parent share, right? One or two of the structures. And it's not that they didn't believe in it. It's that developing habits requires consequences in the natural environment, right? And when I say consequence, I don't mean bad or good. I mean, something happens as a result of your behavior, but we got to get teachers to behave. And so here's what you end up doing. And I believe that this is something that every school leader can do. You, it, there are 20 structures they were taught, right? Well, we don't focus on all 20. You pick one or two structures a week, right? Just like you picked opportunities to respond. You give them the task analysis of this. Hey, here's the structures posted on your front board. And I'm going to be coming around and looking with the administrative team. We're going to catch you being good, right? Yeah. So the act of them knowing you're coming out we call that, and if they begin to engage in that behavior, we call that negative reinforcement. They might be doing it initially because you're coming to look, and that's okay, right? The goal being that if they do it well enough and long enough, they're going to see that's producing some sort of natural consequence that's a reinforcement to them. And then you no longer have to look because they're going to keep doing it whether you're looking or not. We call that discretionary effort. However, if we're not helping them see the impact of their behavior on the environment, they're going to do just enough to get by and only when you're looking and you can't look at everything all the time. This is why it's important that we pick the critical skills. Now, one thing I know is that they don't want misbehavior in their classroom. Well, this is a great behavioral tool, engaging students. It puts them on tasks. They want the kids to learn, I think, for the most part, right? It's mm -hmm. going to help that. And so we have to identify the critical skills 
and making sure that we scaffold in the way that they can learn. And we end up throwing everything on them. We just puke all this stuff up. When Marzano first came out with his meta-analysis, it was bastardized into an evaluation system. And I saw they had 49 skills that they're evaluating totally. the teachers on. Yes. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? It was mind-blowing. This is why I left education, right? Because I'm like, this is not how we get the best out of the teachers. We're never going to get behavior change out of the students if we don't get it out of the teachers, which means we need it out of the school leaders, which means we need it out of the district leaders, right? There's this interlocking behaviors, these meta contingencies, and it was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. And I, I've i done Marzano and Danielson and other different kinds of evaluations, and they all put so much on that you have to pay attention to. In one district that I worked in, when I did an observation, I had to pay attention to 52 different indicators in a 30-minute observation, and I had to track all 52 of them. And, and it was just, it was essentially pointless because there was, there was no reason for me to be focused on so many things when uh, it, it didn't result in anything positive actually happening. And so when the thing that I want to say about the, this one or two structures that you want to focus on is if you can find the things that actually make other things better and easier, then those are way more powerful than than something else. The reason we chose opportunities to respond to go back to that is because we found that when kids had opportunities to respond, then they stayed engaged and they had fewer behavior problems. Mm -hmm. And and we wanted which to is solve... a reinforcer to the teacher. You got to pick things that are reinforcing the teacher. Exactly, and that's what I was going to say. And the teachers were happier when the kids were behaving better in class. And so we said, look do this thing, your kids will behave better, you'll be happier, and the kids will learn more at the same time. And so there are you other- gave a why, a motivating right. operation. Yep. There are other structures that don't really do anything. For example, writing the learning objective on the board. Nobody really cares what the standard is except for the teacher. And so having that learning standard on the board may be something meaningful, but it doesn't have an impact on really anything else except Only a prompt for the teacher. It, yeah, exactly. And so that was another one that, that I observed was not meaningful and did not provide them any value. And so they started writing it up there just to, to spite the administrator. I even had a teacher who would, who put all of the standards up on the board and just in a big poster and mm -hmm. said, "Yep, there's my standard." And it was it was so ridiculous. But they were they were meeting the standard of writing the objective on the board. It becomes it compliance, brother. That's yeah. what all the evaluation stuff is. It's compliance based. It's a dog and pony show, and it sucks the life out of you as an administrator. You totally. don't like it, and the teachers don't like it. And so much time and energy is wasting on it, and it hurts education, not helps them. Yeah. So let's imagine a world where they go into. They have something recording their lesson that is private to them, that it's not the administrators not reviewing it, not looking for anything yeah, wrong. They're just getting feedback on it. They're just getting regular feedback and they're constantly knowing how they're doing That's in right. the moment. How do you make that work in the moment so that the feedback loop is as tight as possible? What's your idea there? Well, so there could be a couple things, right? There could be some sort of prompt. The teacher would need to select how they want it, number one. It could be like, let's say you're focusing on increasing behavior-specific praise, right? And you say, you know what? I want to do a ratio of four to one, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to make sure that it's not just saying good job and saying what they're doing good job on. I'm using the one and I'm correcting from pre-planned corrections, which should be 
developed with the students, right? They understand the why behind it. They've chosen the type of punishments that are going to happen, which it's an array that the teacher laid out to them, but they get why it's happening. And so you can get a buzz in intervals, right? It could say that a, a vibrator in your pocket that says you did a good job. You could have a little thing in your ear that says, hey, you, you're up to eight to one ratio right now. Imagine getting that feedback and like, yeah. imagine like you hit a 21 to one ratio and there's some bonus for it, you know, but it's not just that you're giving it because it's gotta be about the impact, but you're also having data that's checking in with the students say, how are you feeling? Do you feel like the teacher cares about you? You feel safe? Do you feel like you're learning? And when you have these data points coming on, man, Give the teacher some bonuses. They're crushing it. We're going to save so much money on incarceration and quality of life and poverty and mental health and all this stuff in the, in the long run, man. Take care of our teachers and take care of the leaders if you have a lot of teachers who are doing it, right? Because they help to create this kind of environment where people feel safe, care, well for, and it's producing student achievement. I think these people are worth their weight in gold and teachers should be getting paid two good teachers, two, three, four times more, same with the school leaders. It's It's nuts to me. <laughs> yeah. Even with uh, bringing these other tools in that could make jobs less intense and more fulfilling, the I still I still agree with you on that as well. So in closing, we talked about a lot of different things all over the place. What would be your advice if somebody is listening to this, these AI tools are not there yet, but they see the vision of how we can start doing this. What would be your advice to start doing something today as a principal in a school? I have advice, man, that I believe will change things across the whole country. And it's very simple. It's very doable. It could literally happen tomorrow. It's this easy, right? And so I believe very much in social validity. We need to check how people feel. And there's research about this, okay? Now, of course, how people feel, there's bias. But if we had some sort of norms reference, like we collected data. And what I'm talking about is survey data. And survey data that's not going back to the leader. It doesn't go that we need to survey the students but it doesn't go to the classroom leader. It goes to their coach. We need to survey the teachers. It doesn't go to the school leader. It goes to their coach. We need to survey the school leader. It doesn't go to the district leader. It goes to the coach and up to the state, right? And we need to use this data to coach people, right? And coach people against some sort of norm. And we have data like that. They do it once a year. And that's a freaking autopsy. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do with that data? When I went into turn around failing schools, I would ask sometimes daily for stuff. Weekly, right? Now, initially, people wouldn't fill out the survey or a couple would, but when I responded to it and they saw changes that were occurring as a result of their feedback to me, or I gave them the why this is the way that things are, man, I got great buy-in because we need to involve stakeholders. And part of involving stakeholders is involving them in setting goals, but getting feedback from them. We can't just have feedback that's one way. We have to have reciprocal feedback. I have this in my five laws with my Wall Street Journal USA Today bestseller. It's the five laws. Self-monitoring, reporting out. How am I doing? How's it impacting my goals, right? And also, how am I feeling? And getting feedback that way. So we're giving feedback up and feedback back down, right? So it's bi-directional. It's all over the place, man. It shouldn't be one way. I think that simple thing it could happen right away. And I'm like, if you don't, if this is not a district standard in your school, which it's almost certainly not, just do it. Start checking in, right? Model it, be a school leader and model with your teachers and then do that for a while and then start doing it with the students, the teachers, but make sure you use that data to reinforce, make sure you use it to coach, make sure you do not use that data to beat people over the head with it. Otherwise data collection on performance is going to be very aversive and you're going to get quick turnover. Yeah. So what kinds of things should we be asking on those 
I would keep it simple. Well, if you had some sort of new, new initiative, I have a couple questions about that. But do you feel like we're moving in the right direction? Do you feel like your voice is being heard? Do you feel like you know you're being supported? Do you have the resources that you need to be successful? Just some simple questions. The big climate survey, sure, give those quarterly or something like that, right? Where you're digging deeper. But this becomes leading indicators. It's like driving somewhere. You can't wait to get at the end of the state before you see the direction that you're going and see you see the mile markers going down or counting down. You're getting constant feedback to let you know that you're moving in the right direction. Even feedback from the environment, of course. Nobody's telling you, but you're seeing the trees move by and the lines move by and you're seeing the sun and you know the oceans to the right or whatever. You're constantly getting feedback to know you're moving in the right direction. People need feedback. Leaders are navigating, right? Classroom leaders, school leaders, district leaders, state leaders. They need regular feedback loops. And this goes back to what I was saying about AI, right? We got to have, we have to tighten up feedback loops so people can adjust their course right away rather than waiting till the end of the year to find out everything's messed up or the end of the quarter or sometimes, or the end of the month or sometimes even the end of the week if you've got a new change. Yeah, this is really good. I think that there's a lot of power in that. Paul, where can people go and learn more about you and connect with you? Well, I I actually dropped you my link app, Jethro. So it, in the link app, there's my bio. There's a, I have six books. A new book just came out, by the way. It's called Quick Wins. I got to get my, the name of my books right. Yeah. So it's called, hold on, I'm looking it up. Quick Wins, Using Behavior Science to Accelerate and Sustain School Improvement. You know, it's about actually what we were just talking about. That was a quick win you did with the opportunities to respond. You found something that was easier for the teachers to do, and that was producing a visible and valuable outcome to them. And if you get people to buy in with something easy like that, they're more likely to believe in you, believe in themselves, and keep moving in the right direction. All that stuff's on Amazon. I also have podcasts, the Crisis in Education podcast. Um, also, if you're in schools that are struggling with behavior issues, man, I work for literally the greatest crisis management company in the world, Professional Crisis Management Association. We train people to fluency. Remember I talked about the prep courses, not training people to fluency. We train people to fluency. A lot of people are being trained in some sort of crisis or behavior management, and they're given a certificate, but they practice something one or two times, and they're saying, okay, you can do it. That's not the way learning works, right? And so they're in there, and they're having to try to de-escalate a kid or maybe even restrain them. They end up hurting themselves. They end up hurting the other the kids. And so these certificates, these blue cards people are getting, they don't work. We train to fluency. We have a non-physical approach called Everyday Behavior Tools, and we have professional crisis management, which allows us to – it's a complete crisis management from preventing de-escalation right up to uh, having to immobilize students, but all grounded in positive reinforcement in the science of human behavior. So it's pretty incredible, man. And that's at PCMA.com. And there's also links in my link for that, that as well. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Thank you so much for being here. It was great to chat with you. Thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, brother. It's been fun. Edited by Gage Sanderson.